chapter seventeen of jan of the windmill this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. jan of the windmill by juliana horatia ewing chapter seventeen the miller's man at the mop a lively companion sal loses her purse the recruiting sergeant the pocket-book twice stolen george in the king's arms george in the king's service the letter changes hands but keeps its secret for some years the ex-servant of the windmill had been rather favoured by fortune than otherwise he found the pocket-book and though he could not read the letter he got the five-pound note since then his gains honest and dishonest had been much beyond his needs and his savings were not small suspicion was just beginning to connect his name and that of the cheap jack with certain thefts committed in the neighbourhood when he made up his mind to go his wealth was not generally known many a time had he been tempted to buy pigs a common speculation in the district and the first stone of more than one rustic fortune but the dread of exciting suspicion balanced the almost certain profit and he could never make up his mind for master lake paid only five pounds a year for his man's valuable services which even in a district where at that time habits were simple and boots not made of brown paper did not leave much margin for the purchase of pigs the pig speculation though profitable was not safe george had made money however and he had escaped detection on the whole he had been fortunate but that mop saw a turn in the tide of his affairs and ended strangely with him it began otherwise george had never felt more convinced of his power to help himself at the expense of his neighbours than he did after getting sal's information and keeping back his own before they started to join in the amusements of the fair he was on good terms with himself none the less so that he had not failed to see the cheap jack's chagrin as the woman poured forth all she knew for george's benefit and got nothing in return the vanity of the ignorant knows no check except from without under flattery it is boundless and the cheap jack's wife found no difficulty in fooling george to the top of his bent george was rather proud too of his companion she was not as has been said ill-looking but for her mouth and beauty was not abundant enough in the neighbourhood to place her at much disadvantage fashionable finery was even less common and the cheap jack's wife was showily dressed and george found her a very pleasant companion much livelier than the slow-witted damsels of the countryside for him she had nothing but flattery but her smart speeches at the expense of other people in the crowd caused the miller's man to double up his long back with laughter a large proportion of the country wives and sweethearts tramped up and down the fair at the heels of their husbands and swains like squaws after their indian spouses but the cheap jack's wife asked george for his arm the left one and she clung to it all the day quite the lady in her manner she be thought george she called him mr sannel too george felt that she admired him for a moment his satisfaction was checked when she called his attention to the good looks of a handsome recruiting sergeant who was strutting about the mop with an air expressing not so much 
that it all belonged to him as that he didn't at all belong to it but there he ain't to hold a candle to you mr sannel though his coat do sit well upon him said the cheap jack's wife it gratified george's standing ill-will to the cheap jack to have cut him out with this showy lady and to laugh loudly with her upon his arm whilst the hunchback followed like a discontented cur at their heels if there was a drawback to the merits of his lively companion it was her power of charming the money out of george's pocket the money that he dispersed came from the right-hand pocket of his red waistcoat in the left-hand pocket and the pockets like the pattern of the waistcoat were large was the lost pocket-book it was a small one and just fitted in nicely in the pocket-book were george's savings chiefly in paper notes were more portable than coin and as george meant to invest them somewhere where he was not known no suspicions need be raised by their value the letter was there also there were plenty of shows at the mop and the cheap jack's wife saw them all the travelling waxworks the menagerie with a very mangy lion in an appallingly rickety cage the fat scotchman a monster made more horrible to view by a dress of royal stuart tartan the penny theatre and a mermaid in a pickling tub one treat only she declined the miller's man would have paid for a shilling portrait of her but she refused to be taken the afternoon was wearing away when sal caught sight of some country bumpkins upon a stage who were preparing to grin through horse collars against each other for the prize of a hat as she had never seen or heard of the entertainment george explained it to her it was a contest in which the ugliest won the prize only the widest mouthed most grotesque-looking clowns of the place attempted to compete and he won who besides being the ugliest by nature could grin and contort his features in the mode which most tickled the fancy of the beholders george had once competed himself and had only failed to secure the hat because his nearest rival could squint as well as grin and he was on the point of boasting of this but on second thoughts he kept the fact to himself very willing indeed he was to escort his companion to a show in the open air for which nothing was charged and they plunged valiantly into the crowd the crowd was huge but george's height and strength stood him in good stead and he pushed on and dragged sal with him there was some confusion on the stage a nigger with a countenance which of itself moved the populace to roars of laughter had applied to be allowed to compete opinions were divided as to whether it would be fair to native talent whilst there was a strong desire to see a face that in its natural condition was as good as a play with the additional attractions of a horse collar and a grin the country clowns on the stage fumed and the nigger grinned and bowed and the crowd yelled and surged and swayed and weak people got trampled and everybody was tightly squeezed and the cheap jack's wife was alarmed and withdrew her hand from george's arm and begged him to hold her up which she gallantly did she meanwhile clinging with both hands to his smock as to the hunchback it is hardly necessary to say that he did not get very far into the crowd and when his wife and george returned laughing gaily they found him standing outside with a sulky face look here missus said he you're a enjoying of yourself but i'm not 
you've got the blunt so just hand over a few coppers and i'll get a pint at the king's arms sal began fumbling to find her pocket but when she found it she gave a shriek and turned it inside out it was empty if the miller's man had enjoyed himself before he was not to be envied now the cheap jack's wife poured forth her woes in a continuous stream of complaint she minutely described the purse which she had lost the age and quality of her dress and the impossibility of there being a hole in her pocket she took george's arm once more and insisted upon revisiting every stall and show where they had been to see if her purse had been found up and down george toiled with her wiping his face and feeling that he looked like a fool as at each place in turn they were told that they might as well look for a needle in a bottle of hay and that pickpockets were as plenty at a mop as blackberries in september he was tired of the woman now she was troublesome and fidgetingly persevering as women are apt to be and he was vexed to feel how little money was left in his right-hand pocket he did not think of feeling in the left one not merely because the cheap jack was standing in front of him but because no fear for the safety of its contents had dawned upon him it was easy for a woman to lose her purse out of a pocket flapping loosely in the drapery of her skirts but that anything stowed tightly away in a man's waistcoat under his smock could be stolen in broad daylight without his knowledge did not occur to him as little did he guess that of all the pickpockets who were supposed to drive a brisk trade at the fair the quickest the cleverest the most practised professional was the cheap jack's wife she had feigned to see something on the ground near an oyster stall which she said might be her purse as indeed it might as well as anything else seeing that the said purse had no existence as she left them george turned to the cheap jack look ye here jack said he take the missus whom she do seem to be so put about tis no manner of use her stopping in the mop and i be off for a pint of something to wash my throat out i be mortal dry with running up and down after she women does make such a cattle about things you might stand a pint for an old friend george my dear said the cheap jack following him but george hurried on and shook his head no no said he tack thee missus whom i tell ee she've not seen much at your expense to-day if she hath lost her pus with which the miller's man escaped into the king's arms and pushed his way to the farthest end of the room where a large party of men were drinking and smoking at a table near him sat the recruiting sergeant whom he had noticed before and he now examined him more closely he was of a not uncommon type of non-commissioned officers in the english service not of a very intellectual hardly perhaps of an interesting kind of good looks he was yet a strikingly handsome man his features were good and clearly cut his hair and moustache were dark thick short and glossy his dark eyes were quick and bright his figure was well made and better developed his shapely hands were not only clean they were fastidiously trimmed about the nails a daintiness common below the rank of sergeant especially among men acting as clerks and if the stone in his signet ring was not a real onyx it looked quite as well at a distance and the absence of a crest was not conspicuous 
he spoke with a very good imitation of the accent of the officers he had served with and in his alertness his well-trained movements his upright carriage and his personal cleanliness he came so near to looking like a gentleman that he escaped it only by a certain swagger which proved an ill-chosen substitute for well-bred ease to george's eyes this was not visible as a fault the sergeant was as much the swell as george could imagine any man to be george sannel could never remember with distinctness the ensuing events of that afternoon dim memories remained with him of the sergeant meeting his long stare with some civilities to which he was conscious of having replied less suitably than he might have wished at one period certainly bets were made upon the height of himself and the handsome soldier respectively and he was sure that they were put back to back and that he proved the taller man and that it was somehow impressed upon him that he did not look so because the other carried himself so much better it was also impressed upon him somehow that if he would consent to be well dressed well fed and well lodged at the expense of the country his own appearance would quickly rival that of the sergeant and that the reigning sovereign would gladly pay as well as keep and clothe such an ornamental bulwark of the state at some other period the sergeant had undoubtedly told him to give it a name and the name he gave it was sixpenny ale which he drank at the sergeant's expense and which was followed by shandy gaff on the same footing at what time and for what reason george put his hand into his left-hand waistcoat pocket he never could remember but when he did so and found it empty the cry he raised had such a ring of anguish as might have awakened pity for him even where his ill deeds were fully known the position was perplexing if he had had a sober head to consider it with that pickpockets abounded had been well impressed upon his slow intellect and that there was no means of tracing property so lost in the crowd and confusion of the mop true his property was worth crying worth offering a reward for but the pocket-book was not his and the letter was not addressed to him and it was doubtful if he even dare run the risk of claiming them his first despair was succeeded by a sort of drunken fury in which he accused the men sitting with him of robbing him and then swore it was the cheap jack and so raved till the landlord of the king's arms expelled him as drunk and disorderly and most of the company refused to believe that he had had any such sum of money to lose exactly how or where after this the sergeant found him george could not remember but his general impression of the sergeant's kindness was strong he could recall that he pumped upon his head in the yard of the king's arms to sober him by george's own request and that it did somewhat clear his brain his remembrance of seeing the sergeant wipe his fingers on a cambric handkerchief seems to prove they then paced up and down together arm in arm if not as accurately in step as might have been agreeable to the soldier george remembered hearing of prize-money to which his own loss was a bagatelle and gathering on the whole that the army as a profession opened a sort of boundless career of opportunities to a man of his peculiar talents and appearance there was something infectious too in the gay easy style in which the soldier seemed to treat fortune good or ill and the miller's man was stimulated at last to vow that he was not such a fool as he looked and would never say die to the best of his belief the sergeant replied in terms which showed that had he been in cash 
george's loss would have been made good by him out of pure generosity and on the spot as it was he pressed upon his acceptance the sum of one shilling which the miller's man pocketed with tears what recruit can afterwards remember which argument of the skilful sergeant did most to melt his discretion into valour the sun had not dried the dew from the wolds and the sails of the windmill hung idle in the morning air when george sannel made his first march to the drums and fifes with ribbons flying from his hat a recruit of the two hundred and sixth royal wiltshire regiment of foot as the cheap jack and his wife hastened home from the mop sal had some difficulty in restraining her husband's impatience to examine the pocket-book as they walked along prudence prevailed however and it was not open till they were at home and alone in notes and money george's savings amounted to more than thirteen pounds pretty well my dear said the cheap jack grinning hideously and now for the letter read it aloud sal my dear you're a better scholar than me sal opened the thin well-worn sheet and read the word moor dick but then she paused and like abel she paused so long that the hunchback pressed impatiently to look over her shoulder but the letter was written in a foreign language and the cheap jack and his wife were no wiser for it than the miller's man End of chapter seventeen